You are about to enter a great adventure. Welcome, everyone, to Strutting from Gorilla. I am the one, the only, I'm better than you, and you know it, Big Vito, and I got Mikey Cash here. How you doing today, Mikey Cash? I'm not as good as you, apparently. That's, I mean, that's always true, but um, you feeling good this morning? I, I'm, I, I'm, good. I'm I'm very excited about this episode today. I'm feeling rested. I feel like I got up on time. What about you? You know, some of us feel better than others today, and you may have gotten up on time. I may be a little late, but you know what? It's better late than never, Mikey. Just a little, yeah. That's I agree with you. I agree with you. So I'm glad. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're doing this. This is a. a I think this is going to be a fun episode for people to listen to. We'll yeah, be talking so, a little bit about uh, what our our favorite hardcore legend. Yep. Have a nice day. <laughs> bang bang. Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, woo, dude, love. You know, we we're we're gonna talk about all of them, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I know we we've been doing a lot of episodes on um, you know current wrestling, but I feel like this is where we hit our stride. Yeah, you know, we we love talking about wrestlers of the past, and especially of that era, like the Attitude Era. That's where we we excel, Mike. Absolutely, we do. So let's um. Let's just tell everyone here, you know, don't forget to check out our social medias, mm-hmm. our socials, as they say, um, Facebook, right? At SFG podcast, Twitter and TikTok at from underscore gorilla, Instagram at SF gorilla pod. And as always, make sure to check out our website at strutting from gorilla.com. Um, so Mikey, let's get right into it. Let's do it, dude. All right. So um, let me ask you this question. What was the first time? Well, you know what? Why don't you why don't you give a little background on Mick Foley? I know you you like to do that and you do a great job with it. But um, sure, sure. Yeah, well, just give a little uh, bit of background. Yeah, on the, the Reader's Digest, just like a couple yeah. of bullet points. Yep. He's born on June 7th. He was born in Long Island, New York, East Setauket, to be fit to be specific. Yep. Um, your boy Mikey Cash, also from Long Island, so I always have an affinity for Mick Foley, just in a quick aside. Yeah. Uh, a little fun fact, when Mick Foley was on the wrestling team in high school, his teammate was another well-known Long Island actor, Kevin James, the King of the Queens, King and of the Queens. King of Hardcore. What a royal court that must have been. <laughs> Can't imagine <laughs> what those guys were up to in high school together. Um, you know, Mick Foley has had, I, I mean... I was looking up some of his accolades just throughout his career, and this guy has pretty much done it all. Uh, it's it's kind of remarkable. Uh, I mean, he's a three-time WWE champion, TNA world champion. I didn't know this, but he's an uh, eight-time WWE tag team champion. I didn't think he won that many times. Oh, me neither, but, actually. But I wouldn't have known he that. Did. I mean, I feel like that's just a symptom of the Attitude Era. But yeah. anyway, he won a lot of them. Um, the most... The, the partners that he won the most with, two times tag team champion with Kane, three times with The Rock. Wow, I forgot about him and Kane. Yeah, yeah. So, it, really interesting. Uh, yeah. He also has a, a tag team reign with Chainsaw Charlie, a.k.a. Terry Funk. Love Al that. Al Snow. 
that one is probably the most forgettable one. No offense to El Snow. <laughs> uh, and he was tag team champs with Stone Cold once. Yep. So that's interesting. Uh, two-time ECW tag team champion with Mikey Whipwreck. Great tag team. That's right. And he, another one I didn't know, he was a WCW tag team champion with Kevin Sullivan, a.k.a. the Taskmaster. Wow. Right? Yeah, that's some good stuff. I, I didn't know some of this. Actually. I know. Some of this stuff I had no idea about, and, and I love Foley. Yeah. Uh, he was the inaugural hardcore champion. I mean, he has to be, right? Uh, right. So he only so he won match of the year twice, according to PWI, in yep. 1998 with the, the Undertaker Hell in the Cell, yep. and in 1999 with the I Quit match with The Rock. Yeah, I think he got screwed out of one of them, which I'll talk about later. But All yeah. right, I'm looking forward to it. He's also a 1997 Slammy Award winner for Loose Screw when he was Mankind. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the, the greatest accolade he has is yeah. that. Uh, and he was a member of the class of 2013 WWE Hall of Fame. Yep. So, pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Wow. And he's an author, right? Yes, he, he is. He has the book, Have a Nice Day, Foley is Good. And he has multiple... Um, children's books too mm -hmm. which is kind of cool um wow yeah i know. know i know he's done a lot. he also Foley. has his one-man show which i've seen saw it a couple years ago oh comic show uh yeah yeah he does a one-man comedy, comedy specials yeah. yeah and he does it good he does it well yeah it was awesome he had a great i had a great time watching him um i think other people would too all I right think he's actually back on tour now so well, we'll have to go check him out. Um, that was a great recap. Okay, yeah, so now we have bit. a little bit of a, a background on the, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. Um, for you personally, mm -hmm. what was your introduction to Mick? So I feel like I was kind of late to the game with Mick. And I think I was like 12 or 13. And somehow or another, I might have gone to Suncoast or Sam Goody and bought a <laughs> Best of Raw dvd and it was yeah. like a volume i think it was like volume one and two or something yeah. and when i was watching it there's a segment from a raw i think at madison square garden and it's it's a pretty infamous segment where triple h is in the ring and he's supposed to be fighting i think like dude love or he's supposed to fight mankind yep. and it's this whole interview segment where mick is interviewing all three faces of foley so Dude Love is there, Cactus Jack is there, and so is Mankind, and they're all, like, sort of talking to each other. Yeah. And then, like, it, it comes to light that Cactus Jack is going to be the one that's going to take the match. And, yep. like, it's, like, a huge return for, like, Cactus Jack's character. And I just remember it being such a standout moment to me, because I was like, wait, who the hell is this guy? And, like, right. why, why is it such a big deal that Cactus Jack is coming out? Because at the time, I didn't know the background. So right. I was just like, oh, this guy seems, like, wild and why is it the same guy dressed up as three different people but triple h's reaction was made that made that whole thing i mean he looked legitimately terrified yeah so i it just stood out to me and then from there i just kind of started like asking people around in high school and they're like oh you don't know cactus jack uh he was from uh he was from wcw he was in ecw and so like all the it just sort of opened up my world a little bit to like just finding out more about his character and sort of where it came from. And uh, the rest was history for me. I just, and then found out he was from Long Island and just loved the guy. Yeah. So that makes sense. Uh, I would say for me, 
I was right around there too. Like um, the first time I saw him was as mankind mm-hmm. when he was wrestling the undertaker. Um, I think the undertaker really gave Mick his chance. If you want mm-hmm. my uh, opinion in WWE. Was this think, when he first debuted? Was it that like 96? Yeah, it was mankind. Yep. When he first debuted and they pushed him right to the top with against, um, against the undertaker. Mm-hmm. And it was the perfect feud. For me personally, I remember being a kid when I first saw him and being like, who the hell is this guy? He looks terrible. He doesn't even look like a normal wrestler. Right. And I I was kind of annoyed by him at first when he would speak. I'm like, I don't really like this. I was a kid, you know. But then as you watched his matches, I started to like realize he was very unique. Um, And I didn't love his style at the time. But as he started to grow from there, um, you could see like a lot of his, how real his style was. Like Mm -hmm. there's a difference, right? When you're doing something in wrestling these days, you know, you can tell everyone sells, everyone does things differently. Foley always would take a beating. And I never realized this until I watched him progress in his career. He would let guys do whatever they wanted and he would tell them he wanted him to do it because it all started at when he was a kid, he saw the Jimmy Snuka moment and Mm -hmm. he loved the way that he felt when Snuka jumped off the cage and he made a promise that he wanted to make people feel like that too. And he would basically go at any cost to do that. So it's that 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 type of style was very different mm-hmm. and he brought a lot of that realism into WWE and he kind of learned a lot from WCW into ECW and then into WWE and he Absolutely. never really he never really had the chance in WCW he he had great matches against Vader against Sting against right. all these different people and then he lost the will to kind of want to wrestle there because he couldn't get past a certain hump, mm-hmm. went to the ECW, had the whole situation there, kind of like an Austin moment. Would you say that that's true? Yeah. I mean, I feel like he wasn't there incredibly long. I mean, he was there long enough to win a couple of tag team championships, but I think Overall, it was there to sort of put the final seasoning on him. You know, Stone Cold always talks about wrestlers almost like a like a steak, right? And he's like, you know, you got to get the yeah. sizzle going and you get like a little bit of seasoning just to put it over the top. And I think that's kind of what was happening with Mick. He was sort of getting to that point. And yeah. that's always been a credit for ECW. You know, it wasn't just hardcore wrestling. It, it did provide an avenue for guys that were fairly underutilized or just needed a little bit extra to get to the next point in their career. And, and we're able to do that for them. So I, I do think uh, that, that you're absolutely right, Vito. Yeah. And I just, I think because of everything that happened, it was that stone cold effect, right? It, mm-hmm. it just, and, and it wasn't just stone cold. Like I, you're right. It was more than that, but I like to call it stone cold. Cause he's the one who really excelled. And he's the most notable it, example you know? of it. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I just, when he came to WWE, he didn't even like Vince McMahon didn't even want him. No, um, no. JR really pushed for, uh, Mick Foley to be there. Mm-hmm. And 
I think more than just his wrestling ability and his ability to invoke empathy from the fans. Yeah. Mick was really good at little details. Like I watched that documentary for all mankind and there was a lot of good stuff in there. And one of the things they talked about and they interviewed all the big wrestlers. Like I can't tell you the respect that Mick Foley has from triple H Shawn Michaels, the undertaker. I mean, you name it, Terry Mm -hmm. Funk. Um, he has respect from everybody and it's because he's, he's not just the guy who goes out there and gets his ass beat, but he does it in a way that's strategic so that he can understand the character. Like he, the way he, the amount of effort that he put in, you wouldn't believe it unless you, mm-hmm. you, you heard him speak about it, but he has a reasoning behind everything. And it's right. very, very interesting. Well, he, he was one of the first people that I, can recall watching but once i finally like mm-hmm. understood him his incredible psychology in his promos yeah incredible psychology and he would choose locations within the building that would fit the character a lot of times it was like a boiler room or sort of just some random closet or something just sort of for him sort of at the time when he was mankind especially like giving us like a glimpse into like the psyche of this character this is yeah. what this guy thinks of himself to be hiding himself away because he he's so dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I apparently it was kind of the same thing as Austin. He came into WWE, right? Um, and I'm going to talk about this part of his career a little yeah. bit, and we can we can. I, I know there's other pieces. We'll we'll talk about the other mm-hmm. part of his career, but um, when he came in, Jr. was like way behind this guy. He pushed Vince, and Vince like almost reluctantly signed him. And he had a list of names that, of course, just like Stone Cold. And I, I don't remember what they were, but it was like the <laughs> Mutilator was one of right. them and all this stuff. And As um, bad as Frost McFang. Yeah, it, they were pretty bad. And um, so he didn't know what his name was going to be. And he kind of had a vision. And he went to Vince and explained everything and said, well, this is what I think. And he kind of ripped off. I'm not going to say ripped off Vader because his mask was different. But um, they had the mask look and and everything. And um, so he pitched the idea of mankind and kind of explained why he wanted it. And he wasn't sure what Vince was going to do. And he came in and Vince went with his idea. He said, yeah, "Yeah, take it and run with it. And then he gave the promo in the boiler room. And it was kind of a promo that was similar to what he would do in ECW, except he added a little bit more character to it as like this deranged guy, which at the time, think about it. You, you had, you didn't see people like that, that, that gave that. And he had that look, he had the ripped ear. Um, Speaking of which, I know this question isn't on the sheet, but do you know how he ripped his ear off? Yes, I do. It happened in 1994. It was during a, a European tour for WCW he was in a match with Vader at the time, and it was just like yeah. a routine mover. He was getting like thrown off of the top rope, and his head got stuck. I think it was like a spot that he had kind of done before, where yes. he gets his head stuck between the ropes. Anybody who's ever watched his match against Shawn Michaels at Mind Games in yeah, 96 same has thing. seen this spot, too. And mm-hmm. and that was after. <laughs> so he, this, he gets stuck, and I think that's when it like his ear got like split. And so it was already kind of hanging on by a thread. Uh, just with how tight the ropes were at the time. So he finally gets his head out. And I think he just like had one last hit from Vader. And like, that was all that he needed. And like the ear just fell off. 
Yeah, and uh, Vader takes the claim for knocking his ear off. Just so you know, in <laughs> right. the documentary, he's like, "Oh, I know." I he's bet. like, "Yeah, they say I knocked him off. They, I knocked his ear off. I don't remember it, but then I said." Oh, I do remember it. And I punched him and I saw this thing fly and the referee grabbed his ear and um, brought it. Someone Did brought it, it backstage and gave it to Vince or something just like had it in his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he oh finished the God. match. They he went into the, the he was in a French hospital and apparently they were all full. So he had mm-hmm. to like scramble around to find a hospital and by the time they got there, it was no good. They couldn't put his ear back on. Um, oh. And and uh, so they, they went in and he went into plastic surgery and they tried to make it look like a little ear. That's why it kind of looks funky. If you look at it, it kind of looks like a little ear. Like a little um, cauliflower ear. Yeah, but mm-hmm. here's the thing. And this is what I want to touch on with this piece. Okay. Because this is why he quit WCW. Do you know why he did it? No. So he had these feuds with Vader, which... Honestly, we could spend a whole show talking about his feuds with Vader were like unbelievable. Do you want to know why? Because Vader was so physical and fully just took the beating that Vader gave him. And Vader (laughs) says it to this day. He loves Mick because it just they fit perfectly with this feud. And if you watch his matches, Vader didn't give a shit. He would go and beat the shit out of Foley and it just made it look so good. And Foley loved it. Um, because it made his character finally get some like empathy because it looked so real, you know. And yeah, go well, ahead. You know, well, well, well. So I'm I'm only jumping in because one, it feels like it's just a testament to you know, we we've read a book on Vader and he talked yeah. about how much he loved working in Japan and yeah. same bringing concept. that style. Yep. And it matches up timeline wise for when he's talking about. He, he was going back and forth at the time between WCW and I think it was all Japan at the time. Yep. And he's so it, he's carrying that strong style with him. So yep. it was important to have somebody that wouldn't complain when he was exactly. working. Exactly. And Mick exactly. Foley was the perfect person to do that. And Mick himself wanting to get over and wanted to make a name for himself. This was it was the, the perfect storm. Yeah. And I, I say this because it leads into my next piece about how he made other wrestlers have this different side, like well, the Shawn Michaels, the rock, like they had well, this nasty let me, side. Let me ask you. Okay. So we're talking about, now we're starting to get into some matches here. Like what can you remember being the match that he like first stood out to you? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me finish the story about um why oh, he left other, WCW. Story. Yeah, yeah. Let me finish that. Now I'll answer that question. So, so he has this match with Vader and not just one match. Like they yeah. have this big yeah. feud going on and he loses his ear. Right. What do you think at that time, their popularity with that match, it, it was through the roof. Mm-hmm. What do you think WCW did at that point after he lost his ear? I'm guessing nothing. They wanted him to start feuding with somebody else. So he has this great storyline about how he lost his ear and it's real. Yeah. And you could capitalize and make a lot of money off of it. And they just change up the storyline. And he he had it because it was a lot of politics. And mm. at that time, it's the same thing. Stone, it's like very similar to Stone Cold Story. It sounds like, like it. They were, he wasn't going to get to a level. So he basically, he was in the middle of his contract and he left all this guaranteed money. And he was going to, he he in his last match with Vader, if you watch it, it's the most physical match in WCW that you'll ever see. And he does this move on like the steel ramp and 
he just gets destroyed and he has a life insurance and policy uh life life insurance policy and he was going to cash out on it i think he calls it the lloyd uh the what the hell oh, do you call it i uh, i know what you're talking about it's like a very famous company that works for like a lot yeah, of celebrities and sports yeah figures. and he he was going to cash out um with a doctor and um he he just didn't feel he was ready to do that yet and mm-hmm. um but he he definitely was discouraged um but he's the type of guy i get out of this that he doesn't feel fulfilled unless he finishes what he's doing so he mm-hmm. continued and went on to ecw but he left a guaranteed contract with with wcw to go to to, to basically do that and it was it's very interesting move. yeah and that's why he hates um wcw which makes that point about when he wins the championship and they say this fat guy. Oh yeah. Mick that'll Foley put wins. in the seats, but it makes sense why they were agitated at him mm-hmm. and didn't like him, you know, yeah. because he just left and they had a big falling out. But anyways, I thought that was really interesting. No, that is a very um, interesting story. And um, so anyways, go back to your question. I, I'm sorry. I wanted to finish that. That's no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I got ahead of myself on that one. That's okay. But, um, yeah. So basically what I was just curious about, like for you, Vito, like what was the first time, like what was the first match that you remember watching where Mick Foley stood out to you? So it was um, the whole Undertaker thing was a big one. I, I, I think Undertaker really made him. And I think um, that wasn't my favorite match, it, you know, mm-hmm. but though that feud, he had like a best of three. That's when they had like the boiler room brawl and all these different things and their characters fit so good together. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you have this deranged guy that could actually stand up to the undertaker, you know, he yeah. not, not because he was as big or physically strong, but he just took this beating that he just like never gave up. Mm-hmm. He's just crazy. And that's what I remember most about him. Um, but my favorite match with him was the Vaders of the world. Right. Yeah. But I think the most underrated match that you'll see is him versus Shawn Michaels. Um, I re yeah. Mind games. I rewatched that. And that was really the first time WWE had a little bit of that hardcore style. They went outside Mm -hmm. the ring. He lifted the mat up and did stuff underneath the mat. He just, and these were all mixed ideas and he told Shawn Michaels to do it. And if you watch the match, it's the first time you see this kind of dark side of Shawn Michaels, right? Yeah. He just has this different demeanor to him. And it's mostly, it, but he gets that out of everybody, like The Rock in mm-hmm. his matches, Triple H in his mm-hmm. matches. Um, I, and so that's really what stood out to me. And I, they talk about this one spot in the um, Shawn Michaels um, match where he suplexes him on the outside of the ring and he hits the Michaels the reverses steel steps. it, right? Like it doesn't he Yeah, and he hits the steel steps, mm-hmm. right? His foot hits the steel steps. And you look at it and you you're like, oh my god, that's not fake. Like that's real. You know what I mean? Like he hit his knee on that and fully said to do that because he knew that that's the reaction people would have. So yeah. it's stuff like that that I don't think you're going to see happen again because it's almost too real and people won't let people put their body through it. And he's paying for it now, but he wanted those reactions. And it's mm-hmm. honestly what got him to where he is today. 
So that I guess my my answer to your question would be the Shawn Michaels one, but there's yeah. a few that really led up there. So what what were yours, Mike? Uh, well, one I totally agree with you about the Shawn Michaels match because, like you were saying, it brought out a different side of Michaels, and it was one of the first time, one of the first examples besides the one I'm about to bring up too, where he is able to help the wrestlers that he's working with. He brings out a different side of them that I think enriches their character, and then both guys get over. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So in the same year, but just a couple months before, SummerSlam 96, the Boiler Room Brawl with him and Taker. I mean, yep. I hadn't seen something like that before. Yeah. So Because remember, the, this, this kid right here had not really yeah. watched ECW. No. So, you know, either, I'm kind of coming way. to this afterwards and I'm like finding these, like, I found this match, I think on, do you remember Daily Motion that they used yeah, to have I like do. a ton of good old wrestling matches. So like yeah. before the network, I was just like searching yeah. around the internet and I find they had all the I copyrighted videos that you <laughs> <Yeah>. couldn't watch <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on YouTube. So I, I had found that and that match really made him stand out to me. And I know, so for, for my timeline here, dude, it's like. I was already into the 2000s and like watching him have some of these matches, like some great matches. But that when I really look back, that match was just such a standout for him and really changed my view of him as a wrestler. Because I saw this guy who, like you alluded to earlier, can take massive amounts of punishment, but also be able to inflict it. And the psychology doesn't get lost within that story. Because I think a lot of times hardcore matches can tend to do that. They can lose psychology and it's just like, I'm going to hit you with stuff. And that's it. Yeah. Agreed. And, and like new Jack. Th- and so I think that's why sometimes I wasn't really gravitating towards the hardcore style. It just wasn't my thing, but I think Foley made it palatable. And and I think that's, that, that's something we're going to touch on a little later about what his contributions are, but that, that was the real first example of it for me. Yeah. It was almost like he was so good at selling it. He would put his body through anything and it made the other superstar look so much better but then it brought this empathy. It almost brought this, like, you look at it. And I think at that time, people started to realize how fake wrestling was. Because yeah. it was kind of, like, taboo mm-hmm. that it was fake. And um, people realized it, but then they really kind of didn't want to believe it. And as you went along, you could see that this was more real. Like, yeah. this guy was really taking a beating. And he would take it up to the next level. Like that boiler room brawl. Do you remember he fell off the, I mean, you, everyone talks about the the hell in the cell where he gets thrown off and everything, but that boiler room brawl, he was on that ladder yeah. and fell onto that table. And that wasn't a small fall. And no, like, I, I, I know there was that just concrete on that floor. Yeah. And I know Mick didn't like, and actually JR mentioned it on his podcast. He does a great episode. He has a two-part episode on, on Foley, which is a really good listen. He gets into mm-hmm. some good stories that yeah. we, we just don't have time to oh, touch yeah. on. But um, they were talking about how the Undertaker thing was the best of three, and that Boiler and Brawl was actually number two <laughs> um, in their match series, which it should have really been number three. Um, but it was just so good, and it doesn't get the credit in his matches that it deserves. Um, but it was perfect. Like it was this dark area for these two dark characters that you'd think Undertaker was the most brutal. It made Undertaker just look like a demon because he was Mm -hmm. doing all these nasty things to somebody and Foley was taking it and then getting up and, and actually surviving. Like, I don't know. It it makes perfect sense for 
them oh. think like them backstage thinking to themselves how do we top this second match we got to have a buried alive match <laughs> that's the only other way these guys are going to kill each other anyway you might as well just have a match about it and it makes sense to end it with that one it's mm-hmm. just uh, i don't think that that match was as good as the um it's still no, good it's good it, it's yeah. definitely good yeah because uh, it was what it, it that happened in october of 96 yeah. i think mm-hmm. What what's weird is he had the match with Shawn Michaels for the title, like in between, in between, and they were yeah. advertising the the Taker match at Mind Games, buried alive before they were even talking about the Shawn Michaels <laughs> like, match. Yeah, which... I mean, it it would have been. I think it it was maybe planting a little seed in people's minds of like, could this actually end up being for the title? Like, could mankind like sneak away right a championship match with the title and then goes into the next pay-per-view in a buried alive match against taker with the title on the line yeah no that, that would have been interesting too i and, know and they did a good job i think they were also trying to sell like also like the betrayal of paul of um paul bearer with the undertaker that kind of gets lost sometimes in this match is like at the end of it paul bearer turns on the undertaker and teams Which with mankind. Also was so that was a kind yeah. of a big deal. I think they needed a month for that to like kind of settle in for people. And then you had like the Undertaker like comes out at the end of that match with Shawn Michaels. Yep. And you know, kind of carries the feud back over. Agreed. Now, what were your what were your favorite matches or oh, favorite God, opponents dude. slash feuds? You already know where I'm going. There's, I do. There's Mick Foley has shown a history of being able to, like we said, bring out these other sides of characters mm-hmm. and bring them to, I call it the next level. I mean, I for agree. me, that's what I, I see it as. And it gets guys ready. Mm-hmm. And and it was something he was just able to like naturally do with people. It's kind of an amazing skill to have yeah. to, to sort of bring others up. And so I feel like my, my favorite example of this is The Rock. Mm-hmm. Because I watched all of their stuff. I, I literally watched Survivor Series 98, Rock Bottom 98, that infamous Raw in January where he wins the title in Worcester, Mass, by the way. Yep. Uh, halftime Heat, uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and then their <laughs> final match on Raw, which is that ladder match where Big well, Show gets involved in. But, Before you go on, though, this was also the time that The Rock was wearing that shirt all the time because he had the surgery Because he had boobs. the surgery on the <laughs> yeah, He had, like, yeah, the liposuction. Yeah. 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 Which is funny, considering how big his chest is again. Like, I dude, know. You just kind of like, yeah. what'd you do? But I anyway, I still think it's one of the best, like, wrestling attires ever. <laughs> like, yeah, just like the, all like, black ninja he, suit. Yeah. Like, literally from, like, November through February, he was just in a tracksuit. I know. <laughs> like, just so wrestled weird. everything in a tracksuit. So, folks, go back on Peacock and check check out, like, Rock from, like, late 98 to early 99. Some of the best style you'll ever see in wrestling. Yep. But, um... Yeah, so besides Rock's attire, I think what this did was they Vince knew at the time that he wanted Rock in Austin. Mm-hmm. And I think Rock was right there on the cusp, but I think they just felt like he needed something a little bit more. And who better to take him to that level to show like a bona fide mean streak in a guy uh, than McFoley? Yeah. Who can walk him, who can just run him through the paces of yep. these, you know, they were pretty hard hitting matches, you know? Like that that Survivor Series match is very different than the Rock Bottom match, which is very different than the Raw match, than Royal Rumble, obviously. I mean, that I Quit match is is kind of iconic, not just for what it did for the Rock at the time, but when you watched Beyond the Mat, right? Like it kind of gave everybody that behind the scenes of, you know, Rock kind of fucked up and gave him like five or six more chair shots to the head that they didn't agree upon and there was a little bit of a feud there um 
but uh, it's it's really interesting for me to look back and see exactly what Foley did for Rock at that time. Like he really elevated Rock and got him ready for that main event against Austin. I I just I think without McFoley, you wouldn't you wouldn't have had the Rock as as we came to know him. Yeah, I I agree. Um, you know, I I I. I couldn't agree with you more that halftime heat was very cool. I thought it was a great idea. Uh, yeah. It was actually Foley's idea to do it in an empty stadium, mm-hmm. like uh, which, you know, ironically, uh, this is what ended up happening over the last two years. <laughs> yeah, a lot of empty yeah. stadium matches. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but uh, I thought it was great. They ended it, and the way they ended it was so good with the pin of the forklift. <laughs> oh, yeah, he has like, the forklift, and yeah, he puts it down on him. Yeah, so it's good. like. That's why probably the goofiest of the matches that they've had, but for some reason it's kind of enjoyable just because of the trash talk that they have back and forth. Where like, oh yeah, at one point, like they end up fighting into the office, and Rock like answers a phone, and it's just like that's SmackDown Hotel, and he's just like talking. That's right. Uh, All right, one or one little Easter egg I've noticed is when I watch all of those matches, there is one thing that happens every time. Every single time in the middle of those matches, Rock will get himself on commentary, and then Mankind beats his ass. <laughs> like, every time he gets on commentary to start talking, McFoley kicks the hell out of him. It's, like, really, it's just, like, a funny spot that they, like, seem to sprinkle into every single match that they have. Yeah. No, I, listen, I agree. I think it's fantastic. He just, he, again, he has this way about him, and he would do things, like, and unfortunately, there's probably some things he shouldn't have done. Like he did a lot right. of the non-protected headshots, which as a kid, you don't think about it. Like they put their hands up. No, you but just the, during, cool. the, during the I quit match, he was handcuffed and the rock beat the crap out of him with the chair over his head. Yeah, and man. it's like, unfortunately, it probably isn't the best thing for wrestlers. But no, it it, the, it was the little things like that that just made a big difference. And sure. I, I want to touch knowing on Knowing this... what we know now, I'm sure we wouldn't. It, that wouldn't have happened. I mean, no. it, Paul Heyman's even talked about that. If I knew yeah. what I know no. now, ECW would have looked very different. Yeah, it'll never happen again, unfortunately. I, it, for, not unfortunately, because I'm, I'm glad. Uh, but um, the, the thing I wanted to touch on that we, we forgot about in his career, in between, well, as he was working at ECW, he went over to the... Um, the IWA. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really where everything took off because he worked with Terry Funk yeah. and Terry Funk was a legend and Terry Funk had a, during these matches had an utmost respect for Mick Foley and kind of wanted to pass the torch to him as that hardcore guy. And they went through some brutal yeah. matches, man, like barbed wired rings like lined no no ropes just barbed wire rings like how do you do that and right. those two together is just like you'll never see something like that again and i think you know they were able to use that to his advantage through his career because they always showed clips of you know the exploding rings and everything like that and if you know iwa which i didn't but there's a documentary on dark side of the ring that talks about it you would understand how dangerous some of that stuff actually was and it wasn't planned and go back it's it's very very interesting so um no i'll check that out for sure yeah is that on the network or is that something that's so that's on um there's a dark side of the ring it's on vice tv if you Mm -hmm. have hulu it's on there okay um they mick foley's in it a little bit 
but you learn a lot more about IWA and kind of their history and, and everything. And it's like very ticky tacky. And as yep. you can imagine, All right. um, but it's interesting for sure. And it yeah. kind of has that same culture that Mick has where it's right. almost real Japanese wrestling, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, but they loved it over there, loved it. And it just added to the mystique of his character. Yeah. Absolutely. So, it developed yeah. that reputation yeah through those things yeah you know it, it's I, I think he carried that into his work with sting in wcw yeah. in like the early 90s because mm-hmm. again it's just another example of the theme here folks mick foley can take a wrestler who feels like they need another uh, another aspect to their character who who just needs a little bit extra and he adds that to them and his work with sting was no different Yep. Beach Blast 1992, I think, is probably one of Mick's best matches. I know how much Mind Games is sort of brought to light as like one of the pinnacles for him, but I think this gets overshadowed a lot. And it's one of the hardest hitting matches I've ever seen, especially for Sting, who at the time is just like that baby face. I mean, he was Surfer Sting at the time. He wasn't Crow Sting at this point. And that match is is incredible for what it is because Throughout the whole match, there's no there's no padding outside the ring for this match for some reason, and I think it's a false count anywhere match. And dude, I like I there was a couple times where I found myself cringing at some of the spots that they had. Like yeah. they were back suplexes, like it's like simple matches, but uh, simple moves, but high impact moves. Yeah, onto concrete, like yep. that's not good. Mick no. jumped off the top rope yep. onto the floor, like. Yep. No wonder why his hip is made of concrete now, because like yep. he just destroyed it back then. And good for, St- I mean, Sting took some bumps himself onto the concrete, which again, I think added to his character, showed people how tough this guy can be to work with, with a quote unquote madman like Mick Foley, like Cactus Jack at the time. I think yep. it's, it's great. And yeah. I I ended up I, I've been everybody knows now, the listeners know I have the Impact Plus app, so I've been working my way through. And I saw them rekindle their rivalry at uh, TNA Lockdown, nineteen uh, what two thousand nine, and it was actually really good. It yeah. was really cool to see them sort of rekindle it. They have good chemistry together, yeah. and I thought that was a that was actually I think that was the one one on one match that they had. Yep. It was like a cage match, but yep. really really well done, really yeah. well done. So yep. I, I think I think Mick Foley also should get some credit for bringing sting to a higher level as well. Theme of this whole thing. And I, you know, I'll, I'll, we're going with that. I'll talk mm-hmm. about triple H too, because you can't, you can't have a talk about Mick Foley without talking about triple H. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and this point of his career was very interesting because this is when he had the three faces of Foley that you talked yep. about with dude, love cactus Jack and that interview happens. Right. And it just brought things to a new level because they'd never really mentioned Cactus Jack before. And they do that whole interview with uh, Mankind and Dude Love, which is awesome, by the way. So funny. Oh, it's so good. But they also, after this match, I want to touch on this because it was very interesting. I think it really propelled Mick Foley here because he started to become kind of this fan favorite. People were cheering for him. And he, like, people didn't know why, like, why are you cheering for this guy, right. man, mankind? And, um, so he does this interview with JR and Vince McMahon 
um, th- this happened actually before all of this, but McFoley came up with the idea because Vince wanted him to answer questions from, from JR. And Mick said, listen, I'm going to answer the questions truthfully. And it kind of explored his past. And they had all those videos from Dude Love when he was younger. Yeah. And um, he answered them as in character. Mm-hmm. And the, But they were all true answers. And it made him seem like this crazy guy, but people related to him. Yeah, he almost was sympathetic. Like, yeah. And the way he answered it, if you watch that um, interview, it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's serious. It's yeah. something never really been done before. And it just opened up a whole new layer to the McFoley character. The downside to the three faces of Foley is I think that he just it confused the fans a little bit. Um, and yeah, and his popularity kind of went down at that point a little bit. And uh, I just, I'm not sure that it, I think it just kind of all happened too quickly. Mm-hmm. And then he was losing a little bit of, of steam, mm-hmm. although he had some great matches with triple H. Um, but Royal he, Rumble, that's, that's what, Yeah great match hell in the cell right that's the one he retired at correct quote unquote retired yeah well he was supposed to but before that he had that match with undertaker hell in the cell and because of the stuff he did there it brought him back to a whole new level Mm -hmm. and at this point in his career he's taken all these beatings he's done this stuff and he didn't actually want to come back to do the hell in the cell with triple H, but they lost stone cold at that time to a neck injury and he needed to step up. And that's when he had that retirement match and he was supposed to be done, but he kept getting drawn back in. Right. Mm -hmm. Vince just kept asking him, Hey, can you do this? Like kind of like the taker scenario. And he kept coming back. Um, and I think the Triple H thing, again, it brought the sadistic side of Triple H out. Yeah. yeah, just like everyone else. You got mm-hmm. the barbed wire bat, the the everything, the, yeah. the tax. They, they and, needed everything. it. They, they needed did. that to get Triple H to that. To uh, Again, he needed to look ready for a WrestleMania main event. Yep. They were heading into WrestleMania 2000. I think yep. at the time, before all the plans changed up, it was supposed to be Rock and Triple H. Correct. So I think they were trying to get him ready for that. And who better to do that with than the guy who did it for Rock the year before? Right. And apparently, they, they so he retired. And literally, they called him a couple weeks or something before WrestleMania. Yep. And yep. he was, they were like, you're you're going to be retired? Yeah, you're coming. Uh, Triple H was like, I thought you retired. And he's like, I thought I was too. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Right. Um. So, you know. Uh, I know we're running a little bit short on mm-hmm. time here, but uh, so those are kind of the things that really, yeah, th- there's a lot more to Mick Foley, like the Absolutely. stuff he does. I So I was, when I was watching that documentary there, you know, I know kind of the last question here is, you know, what are the contributions that he made mm-hmm. to wrestling? Right. And, and I'll, I'll start this one off here, Mike. Um, I'm going to start it off with this. He made that book, Have a Nice Day, and it was a number one bestseller on New yep. York Times, yep. right? And he wrote that book himself, and the publisher was like, you're going to write a book yourself, and they kind of didn't 
think it was going to be good. Sure. They were very hesitant about it. Apparently, he would spend every day, every night working on this book, and he would have Triple H read it, um, bits and pieces, and he's like, this is really good, Mick. And um, they were very impressed with it, and obviously, it was a number one seller, and they said to this day, the release at Barnes & Nobles was the biggest they had ever had with lines mm-hmm. of people waiting. And it's just like that. He was much more of an intellectual than people give him credit for. Yeah. And he was able to kind of do things behind the scenes that just with his matches, it's the little things that, that, that made it, a, made it good. Um, and, and I'll give you an example of it. And to this day, Mick Foley wishes he could still do it, but him as commissioner Foley yeah. was some of his best work. Hysterical. Like, hysterical and he talked about it he's like i wish i could have done it longer um because it i could go there and elicit a reaction from a crowd and not have to worry about taking a bump like i was doing mm-hmm. and if you go back and watch with it, it, it's so good like him and edge and christian <laughs> oh Great. so good there was a point where they wouldn't wrestle and they had Christian in one of my favorite scenes, Christian was in the bathroom and he's like, Oh, I'm so sick. I'm throwing up. I'm throwing up. And he's got like water going in the toilet yeah. and fully leans over and sees him. <laughs> Dude, it's so good. So uh, to me, that's the type of contribution. And I will also tell you this, the, the biggest contribution to me and full and Jr. hit it the nail on the head when they hired him, he brought something to the locker room that no one else could. So many mm-hmm. other people were selfish and trying to take that brass ring and go to the top at any means necessary. Foley didn't try that. He was just trying to get the best match possible and elicit the most emotion. Mm-hmm. And it was selfless, right? Like he took, he brought that. And I think it just changed a lot of the locker room mentality. Like, look at this guy. He doesn't really care about being champion. He does, but he wants to make the best match possible instead of me trying to instead of a wrestler trying to get to the top by any means necessary like the click where they were kind of in their own little thing and the it brought the locker room together yeah because he was able to show that yeah i i I think you put it very succinctly Vito. i i agree with with basically all of that what i would add to that is to say for me his contributions are that of have you ever seen that movie good luck chuck yeah, it's a, with uh, this movie with Dane, Dane Cook, Cook. Like, the movie yeah. is really not that great. But the premise That's of this movie, I feel like, analogy. applies to Mick Foley. Yeah, because the premise analogy. of that movie is this guy hooks up with girls, and then they find, and afterwards they find their soulmate. They find whoever that yep. that person is, the love of their life. And I feel like, in many ways, this is how Mick Foley acted for these wrestlers. Yep. They would work with him, and then afterwards there'd be a rocket strapped to him. Yep. Afterwards, they would find great success in in their field and that's why that's why i'm saying that mick foley is the good luck chuck of wrestling because i think he made he helped guys make names for themselves and it was through his work and his dedication and like you said the selflessness this is a business that's incredibly selfish and and egocentric so the fact that you had a guy that didn't act like that but was so well liked and so well respected People wanted to work with him because they knew what it meant after they were done with whatever program they had with him. The The list can go on and on. And I know we talked about some of the major ones, but if I could give people just a couple of recommendations to watch, you know, we've, we've talked about rock 
and all those matches and Sting and Vader and his stuff with Terry Funk and IWA and Triple H and Undertaker. What I would say is also check out some of the stuff he did here and there with Randy Orton. Mm-hmm. Backlash 2004. He did a lot for Randy Orton then, as well as I think it's 2006, WrestleMania 22, the street fight with Edge. Yep. He got another, his WrestleMania another moment. Another example of him being able to take these younger guys, guys that were looking to get to a next level that needed this added dimension to their character, and he added it to it. So yeah. I, I would just recommend that the listeners check that out. Yeah, I, I, you hit it right there. That's exactly what it is. And, um, you know, until you, I, that's why I like this episode because I think it gives fans, you know, when younger fans hear Mick Foley, they just think of this hardcore guy that probably just liked to take a beating, but he was way more than that. He was way more than that. And, um, you know, I think he did a lot for wrestling at the time and it just goes to show later in his career like he never had a WrestleMania moment and it was always lingering. Right. Mm-hmm. And edge was the one who was like, I want to give you that WrestleMania moment. I want to be there with you. And they worked really hard at it. And he had many moments where he could have just ended his career and it mm-hmm. would have been good, but he just kept going. Right. When you're someone who has that love, it's hard to say no. And, um, I just think his legacy is much more than hardcore. And he even says it. He's like, no, I, I, I felt the pain. Like it yeah. wasn't like I was addicted to this pain. He's like, I just wanted to get that. It all stems back to that Jimmy Snooker moment when he was a kid and mm-hmm. saw him fly off. He wanted to elicit those emotions for fans and he did it. He succeeded. Yeah. Yeah, he absolutely. really did. And, um, you know, he's just, I, I really wish WWE would, do more for their legends at this point. And I don't need them to come back and, and I don't need him to pull a sock out of his thing. I just, yeah. he could easily be in the backstage helping these young guys like elicit those moments too, mm. to a different degree. And um, I, I have a lot of respect for him. He's one of my favorite wrestlers. Yeah. I really enjoyed him and he wasn't my favorite wrestler because he was the, the best looking guy, you know, no. he wasn't the prototypical guy, but these are the guys that they're missing today that they need to have you know um i look at like bray wyatt as a little bit of an example Mm -hmm. of the influence from mick foley different and and we need more of that and i'll always respect mick foley for that i will and i expect i respect all of his career and um you know i think a lot of those struggles where he didn't get where he wanted and he was the wcw effect i'll call it that propelled some of these guys and wwf or wwe um yeah we need more of that you Mm -hmm. know and we don't we don't need the hey we need a high-flying spot yeah that's not what we need we need we need that emotion from people and i i hope people can go back and look at him and and use this as an example now we've learned a lot from stuff that he did with headshots and everything like that that don't need to be done again but i think you can it's the little details that make a big difference. And quite honestly, I see a lot more of this in AEW nowadays than I do in WWE. And I, I get it, but uh, it's, it's because AEW is focused more on the wrestling aspect of the business than sure. the entertainment part. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, I love Mick Foley, loved, loved every part of him, and uh, a lot of respect for that guy. Yeah, big time, big time. I've, so, I, I don't know what else we can say about the guy. We've been gushing over him now for almost an hour. Yeah, the only thing I'll add that we kind of missed out on, there was a point in his career when 
he transitioned into being a commentator and perfect for him. He did a great job. And again, same concept. He did it to the best of his ability, but he did it to the best of his ability and did a great job. Um, But there were, he hated Vince McMahon yelling into his ear and he talks about it in the documentary and he would take a lot of the stuff because Vince is very brutal, I guess, on the on there. He's like, say this, do that. What mm-hmm. are you doing? And Foley started taking a lot of that personally. And they got in a big fight. Um, and, you know, Vince basically said, this job isn't for you. Like, he was good at it, but it isn't for you. And he felt disrespected in some regards. Left and worked for TNA, right? Um, And he had a little stint in TNA, which was kind of cool because he got to work with some guys maybe he hadn't worked with or whatnot, Um, but ended up rekindling um, with Vince McMahon because he loves Vince McMahon uh, and and then had his kind of legends career in the sunset of of his career. So, yeah, which is... What he got was well-deserved and he's not the first example of a guy who had a falling out with Vince. And then later no. on, they kind of make up. I think yep. with those, that that's more of a thing. I think with Vince and I agree him personally, like the, the way Vince is personally, I think is very different than what we see at yeah. these like corporate Agreed. meetings and all that, that other bullshit. I think yeah. when it comes down to it, I do want to believe that this guy did care about the guys that worked with him, And especially during that time frame. So I do think for him, there's a very like personal sense of loyalty. of like, I want to figure this out. I yeah. don't want things to go unsaid, you know, but that's, yeah, there, that's I a mean, whole other episode, but yeah, there was one point on um, the hell in the cell match where no one knew what they were doing at the hell in the cell, the undertaker and, and mankind. And when that was over, Vince came to him and said, listen, I'll always remember what you've done for this mm-hmm. company. He goes, but don't ever do that again. I Your health that. and yeah. safety is way more important than anything else. And you just excelled everything way too fast. Yeah. Like he was always trying. The, the problem is when you do stuff like that, you always have to take it to a new level. And you'll learn a lot if you watch that IWA documentary that it just, it's not possible, mm-hmm. right? At some point you can't beat what you did last time. And Vince was really good at, small steps and fully would take giant leaps and he didn't right. like that because it, it was hard to live up to. And, mm-hmm. um, that ultimately was the demise of IWA. Yeah. <laughs> if you watch it, they had really crazy shit going on. <laughs> um, and, um, I'll check it out. Yeah, it was cool. And, um, but he did a lot for this business. I, I, love Mick Foley and uh it, it, the thing was he had so different aspects right you had the hardcore but then you had this guy who was comp like yeah we can't have this he's, he's just like without... a really he's a beautiful man is I think yeah, you, the way the best way to describe him he's a beautiful you, man got a great yeah, heart it, but he you does, can't uh, I mean you, you can't have this episode without talking about the Mr. Sacco, like the stupidest oh God, thing in the entire world. One of the best segments of all time is the introduction to Mr. Sacco. Yeah. And then, and then the, 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 this is your life rock with the rock yeah. and sock connection, yep. but that's totally different than a hardcore guy. Yeah. He right? had, could, he was multifaceted. He was a, yeah. he was a multidimensional character. Yeah. So, um, we will leave it at that. 
Uh, is there anything else you want to add about um, Mick Foley here? No, just you know, for folks who are out there, check out those match recommendations we mentioned. And uh, yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Watch those segments. The This Is Your Life. Watch the the introduction to Mr. Sacco. It's great entertainment. You'll enjoy it. And if, as always, um, if you want to give us any feedback, if we miss something, you know, there's a match that you're like, hey, guys, you suck. Like, you missed this entire thing. Um, just remember, we have only have an hour. Uh, and but but feel free. Let us know. Again, our Facebook is at SFG podcast. Our Twitter is at from underscore gorilla. Instagram is at SF gorilla pod. Um, make sure to give us a rating on on any of the podcast streams that you're listening on um, and give us some feedback. We love to hear it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, um, we have some great episodes coming up next here um, as we go. uh, Getting into uh, WrestleMania season. Getting into WrestleMania season. We'll be talking about that. Um, We'll be talking about the, the death of territories at some point. And at some point this season, Mike, I know we're going to end up having our, episode on the rock and i know you're excited about that so i knew you were going to say that i knew it's coming i wanted to you know now that i said it we have to have it so i need a lot um, of prep this i know that's a two-parter for me that's fine we can do a two-parter but i want to get everyone excited uh so uh, we appreciate you listening and uh until next time have a nice day we now return your perception of reality to you Until next time.